Well, shalom, shalom, y'all. Um, I'm actually Jewish. I consider myself a southern fried Jew now that I live in New Orleans. But I'm originally from New York City, and I'm the daughter and granddaughter of Holocaust survivors. And I came to know Jesus when I was in college. And ever since then, I wanted to go into ministry to be able to share my faith with other Jewish people. And so that's what I've been doing for the last 20 years. As a matter of fact, December 4th was my 20th anniversary working with the ministry. So if you could praise the Lord. Amen. If you could put up the first uh, overhead, each of you hopefully got one of these magazines. Whoever didn't, would you raise your hand just so we can see? Okay, everybody's got it, and you've got one of these brochures. What I'd like you to do at this point is to open up this gray brochure. Oh, we have somebody in the back here who didn't get a magazine. If you would just keep your hand up until they bring it to you, that'll be great. And down here also, we also have somebody down here as well. Okay, if you would take this uh, gray brochure and open it up, you'll notice that the back panel has a place where you can fill out your name and address. What I would like you to do is just to bend that panel back and forth a few times at the perforated edge, and on the count of three, you're going to participate with me in an ancient Jewish ceremony. It's called the Ceremony of the Tearing of the Cards. So on the count of three, let's tear together. One, two, three. Well, praise the Lord. Now you're all Jewish. (laughs) Now you see that on that panel is a place for you to fill out your name and address, your email address. Please take out a pen and go ahead and fill that out now. It will not obligate you to anything. But if you see, you see there is a box, and next to the box it says, please send me your newsletter so I can pray for the work of CJF Ministries. If you check off that box, and only if you check off that box, what we would like to send you is this magazine called Messianic Perspectives. It comes out every other month, and that's what you will be receiving in the mail from us, as well as my own personal missionary newsletter. And we do ask that you give a contribution of $10 or more, and that's just to help defray the cost of mailing and printing of this. So we really appreciate your help with that. And I also wanted to mention that I have with me today, um, well, let me tell you a little bit about what I do. I am a Jewish evangelist, and my main goal is to take the gospel to the Jewish people first And then to anybody else who will listen, if you could go to the next overhead. And the way that we do that is by meeting with people one-on-one to study the scriptures. Because believe it or not, most Jewish people don't know very much about the Bible. We also have uh, home meetings for all the Jewish holidays. And these are for Jewish people who don't know the Lord. I also have a monthly women's meeting that happens on the second Sunday of every month. And then we also do street evangelism. And just recently, we did a special project. If you could go to the next overhead. Uh, Here you have a picture of our psalm reading tables at the New Orleans Poor Boy Festival. Now notice it says psalm reading, not palm reading. 
And so uh, that festival was attended by 50,000 people last year. So we had people coming up to the table asking us to read their palms. And we would tell them, we want to read you a psalm. So we read them a psalm. And then afterwards, we got to speak to them, try to figure out where they were spiritually. And as a result of this outreach, two people accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Amen. Praise the Lord. Such a blessing when somebody makes that decision. And then six people told us that they hadn't, they didn't have their own Bible. So we mailed off Bibles to them. And 19 people gave us their contact information for further follow-up. So it was a really good outreach. It was the first time that we did anything like this. And we're looking forward to doing it again. And we learned a lesson. The next time our sign needs to say, free. And then we feel like more people will come up to the booth. But it was great. So um, we do street ministry. And then we also... um, speak in churches, to share on the Jewish roots of Christianity. And we also have literature that we like to provide for Jewish people. So if anybody here has a Jewish friend and you're looking for something specific to give to them, to share the good news with them that the Messiah has come, call me and I'll get you that literature. And one of the things we have with us today, if you go to the next overhead, oh, Go back. I forgot to tell you. This is a woman who recently came to know the Lord. She's Jewish and from Hammond. And this is her picture. And uh, I'm always leading Jewish people to the Lord. We have a saying in Jewish evangelism. When one Jewish person comes to know Jesus, we're having revival. And so I'm really having revival because I've had been able to lead a lot of Jewish people to the Lord. So let's go to the next one. And uh, we have publications, and one of them is our Messianic Jewish Art Calendar. And we have them with us today. They are on the table in the foyer. We hope you'll get one on your way out. They're $12. And what I'm going to be speaking about today is Hanukkah, which is a festival which is celebrated very close to Christmas. Hanukkah always falls on the 25th of Kislev, the Jewish month. And so it's not the 25th of December, but the 25th of Kislev. So if you want to see when the holidays are celebrated, this calendar will allow you to do that. So we hope you'll avail yourselves of that. And um, and then the, for the last uh, overhead, we also lead tours to Israel twice a year in the spring and in the fall. And our next tour is coming up in March. We do a tour of Israel, the four seas, the Sea of Galilee, the Mediterranean Sea, the Dead Sea, and the Red Sea. And uh, in, the, in the fall, we always do, we go to Turkey to see the churches of the Book of the Revelation. So we hope maybe you'll consider coming with us one of these days. It's really a blessing. So now that I've told you about my ministry, you'll know what you're signing up for if you decide to sign up for it. What I want to do today is spend some time talking about Hanukkah, the festival of lights. Because I believe that if there hadn't have been a Hanukkah, we wouldn't have a Christmas. And I want you to come to understand that link today between Hanukkah and Christmas. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to review some events, the history of events, which led up to the celebration of the first Hanukkah. 
And by the way, Hanukkah means dedication. And you'll learn why it's called dedication as we go through this uh, session. Well, I don't know how much you know of Jewish history, but I think I'm going to give you like 2,000 years of Jewish history in two minutes. How about that? Let's try it. Okay, the Jewish people were started with Abraham who was circumcised. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, and those sons were the, the, the progenitors of the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, those 12 sons, um, one of them moved to Egypt, and in Egypt we were enslaved for 400 years. We were freed from Egypt for 400 years. Moses led us into the wilderness. We wandered the wilderness for 40 years, and then we went into the promised land. We settled in the promised land, and first we had judges who led us, and then kings. And eventually, the kingdom of Israel split. The southern kingdom split from the northern kingdom. And we only had a period of of peace during this reign of Solomon. After the kingdom split, the northern kingdom was taken captive by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom was taken captive by the Babylonians. And then after the Babylonians came the Persians and then the Greeks and then the Romans. And there you have 2,000 years of Jewish history in two minutes. Now, the period of time that I want to speak to you today about is the Greek period when the Greeks were ruling the Jewish people. And there was one specific Greek ruler. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes, who was the worst of all of these rulers. He had this grand notion that he was going to unify the entire Greek empire. He was going to unify it under one currency, one language, one religion. And that's exactly what he said about doing in one language. And of course, the language that he established was Greek, and the religion that he established was paganism. And so paganism became rampant in the land. And despite the fact that he was willing for the Phoenicians to worship their Baal, and the Romans to worship Jupiter, and the Greeks to keep their Zeus, He was not willing for the Jewish people to keep the God of their ancestors. And so his wrath began to be poured out upon the Jewish community. And his wrath split the Jewish community in two. There were some who were willing to compromise their faith, and there were others who were not willing to do that. The people who were not willing to compromise their faith continue to follow the laws of Moses and to obey his uh, teachings and his commandments. And especially the, the priests back in those days, the holy men of God who worshiped God and ministered to God in the temple, they were willing to compromise their faith. And so the priests began to minister in the temple, not according to the garments, which were commanded by God to Aaron, the first high priest, but they began to minister in the temple in Greek clothing. They adopted Greek dress, and they also ate forbidden foods. Jewish people aren't supposed to eat pork. 
Well, those people who were opposed to these things and wanted to stay loyal to God were called the Hasideans, and they refused to compromise. But the group that did compromise were, for the most part, wealthy, the upper crust. And these aristocrats, they got the upper hand, and they were able to petition the Greek um the Greek ruler, to have one of their own placed as a priest in the temple. So this was not a priest that was necessarily directly descended from Aaron, but was another priest, one of their own choosing, whom they knew would compromise the will of God. And they were able to prevail upon Antiochus, and this man by the name of Jason was appointed as high priest. And this man opened the gates of the temple to uh pag- to paganism and he instituted what was called the gymnasium or greek games and back in those days i don't know if you realize this but greek games when they were played by young boys were played naked and so there would be naked boys running through the temple at times when they were supposed to be worshiping god And this is written about in the book of Maccabees. Now, the book of Maccabees is not scripture. It's extra. It's it's called the apocryphal literature. It's not the word of God. But it's useful as a historical document. And we can learn things about what happened back in those days by reading it. So I want to read you a passage which describes what was going on. This is talking about Jason, this priest. With great enthusiasm, he built a stadium near the Temple Hill and led our finest young men to adopt the Greek custom of participating in athletic events. Because of the unrivaled wickedness of Jason, that ungodly and illegitimate high priest, the craze for the Greek way of life and for foreign customs reached such a point that even the priests lost all interest in their sacred duties. They lost interest in the temple services and neglected the sacrifices. Just as soon as a signal was given, they would rush off to take part in the games that were forbidden by our law. They did not care about anything their ancestors had valued. They prized only Greek honors. So this just shows you the depravity of the priesthood that was in existence in that day. Well, once Jason was installed as high priest, Antiochus decided that he wanted to widen his kingdom. And so he decided to set his sights on Egypt and wanted to conquer Egypt. So he and his army leave Jerusalem and they head for Egypt. And uh, they're routed by the Romans But word gets back to the Hasideans, which were the Jewish people who remained faithful to God, despite all of this turmoil. And they heard a false rumor that Antiochus had been killed in this battle. And so they were jubilant and they thought, well, now finally we can take back the temple for for worship of the one true God. And so what they did was they took all of these these priests that were compromising their faith, they put them on top of a hundred foot wall and pushed them over and they all fell to their death. 
And then the Hasidians took over the rule of the country. Well, then, just as Daniel had seen in a vision, Antiochus was defeated and he turned around because he wasn't dead. And when he heard that this had happened, his wrath came upon the the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this is what it says in the book of Daniel about this. At the appointed time, he will invade the south again. So this is a prophecy that Daniel saw when he was in Babylon about this Greek emperor who would invade Egypt. But this time, the outcome will be different from what it was before. Ships of the western coastlands will oppose him. And these were the Roman ships that opposed him. And he will lose heart. Then he will turn back and vent fury against the Holy Covenant. He will return and show favor to those who forsake the covenant. His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant, but the people who know their God will firmly resist him. And this prophecy came to pass exactly as it was written during the days of Antiochus Epiphanes. Once he was faced with an ultimatum from the Egyptians to get out of Egypt or to face death, He went back to Jerusalem and he vented his anger on the inhabitants of Jerusalem and slaughtered 10,000 Jewish people that lived in that city. He then went into the temple and he installed a new set of idol uh, statues of idols in the temple. And then he desecrated the temple by taking a pig and sacrificing it on the altar. And then he took the blood of that pig and he sprinkled it on the mercy seat. And then he put a statue of Zeus next to the altar. And then he imposed a death sentence upon any Jewish person who would circumcise their sons, who would observe the Sabbath, or who would would, um, eat kosher foods, and who would study the Bible. And this was all forbidden in the realm. And then he made everybody who lived in a village, all of the villages around this area, every day had to sacrifice a pig in that village to God. And in a little town by the name of Modi'in, In the midst of all of this turmoil and wrath and murderous actions by this man, God stepped in. And one day in this town of Modi'in, there was a Syrian Greek officer who pointed to a man in the village. He wanted Mattathias, his name was, to to sacrifice a pig in Modi'in. And Mattathias refused. Because he was a righteous man, he stood with God. 
Now, the Syrian Greek soldier knew Mattathias and didn't want to kill him. And so he asked if there was anybody else who would volunteer to do this in his place. And another Jewish man volunteered. And this got Mattathias so angry that he killed this Jewish man and he attacked the Syrian Greek officers that were in this town. And there was a riot that followed. And as a result of this riot, all of the Syrian Greeks in that town were defeated. And then those who battled against them had to take cover in the mountains and fled to Judea and Samaria. And they began to wage a guerrilla warfare against the Syrian Greeks for three years. And exactly three years to the day, they were able to conquer the Syrian Greeks. And they were able to take the temple back for the worship of the one true God. And it is this rededication of the temple to the worship of the one true God that we celebrate when we celebrate Hanukkah, which means dedication. So we're celebrating the fact that we were able to go back and be faithful to God and to follow his will and to follow his ways. And this is also written about in the book of Maccabees. Again, this is not scripture, but let's look at it. It says, and they arose early on the 25th day of the ninth month, that is Kislev, in the 148th year, and offered sacrifice according to the Torah upon the new altar. At that time, and on the day the heathen had polluted it, it was rededicated with songs and harps and lyres and cymbals, and all the people fell on their faces and blessed heaven, which had prospered them. Then the next overhead, and they celebrated the rededication of the altar for eight days. And Judah and his brothers and all the congregation of Israel decreed that the days of the rededication of the altar would be observed at their season every year for eight days, beginning with the 25th of the month of Kislev with gladness and joy. And so after the defeat of the Syrian Greeks, the Jewish people rejoiced for the triumph that God brought to them, that they were able to remain true to God and be able to follow his precepts and his rules. And so today, we as Jewish families, we commemorate this time when God enabled us to worship him in the temple once again. And Hanukkah is a holiday now, which is celebrated every year by Jewish people around the world. And, uh, And the way that we go about celebrating is we have this menorah, which has eight branches plus an additional branch in the middle, because in the temple there was a lampstand which had seven branches on it. And this lampstand had to be burning with light continually, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it was the custom of the priests to refill those lampstands with fresh oil every Sabbath. When the people went 
has rededicated the temple to the worship of God, legend has it that when they went into the temple compound, they were only able to find enough oil to last one day. But miraculously, that oil lasted eight days until they were able to get a fresh batch of pure holy oil to use to light the menorah. So that's why we celebrate Hanukkah for eight days to commemorate the miracle that God did in providing that oil to last for eight days. And so we light the menorah every night. Now, on the first night, we will only light the middle branch. And this this uh, candle, which is above the others, it's called the shamus or the servant candle. And on the first night, we will light that candle. And then the first candle here. And then on the second night, we'll light this candle. And the first and the second candle. And then on the third night, we'll light this candle, the first, second, and third, and so on until we come to eight nights. And as we're lighting these candles, we recite blessings. And I'm just going to recite it for you. Baruch Adonai. Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotav, v'tzivanu lechad l'kner shel Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Shasani sin lavotenu Bayomim Ohim Bahasman And that means Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us with your commandments and commanded us to kindle the Hanukkah lights. And blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sustained us. And who has permitted us to reach this season. So we really praise God that we're still alive as a people. Because if Antiochus would have been successful, we as a people would have been exterminated and not existed anymore. And if we would have been exterminated, then the Messiah would not have been able to come. Because the Messiah was to come from the tribe of Judah and the family of David. And I think Jesus really recognized the meaning of all of this and recognized that there was a link between Hanukkah and his life and ministry because he himself observed Hanukkah. And I don't know if you realize this, but in the book of John, it is written... We could go to this, the quote from the book of John. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. So back in Jesus's days, this holiday was known as the feast of dedication. And because Jesus was an observant Jewish man, he went up to the temple and observed Hanukkah there. 
And it was during his observance of Hanukkah that he told the people in Jerusalem that he indeed was God in the flesh. Because one of the things that he said during this time is, I and the Father are one. And so he made some very significant statements about himself as this festival was being observed. So what are the lessons for us in all of this story and in the unfolding of these things which happened so long ago? Well, I think what we need to remember is that we as followers of Jesus must stay faithful to him and must not compromise our faith. In the book of Romans, the next overhead, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing unto God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the message of Hanukkah is that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices to God. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God resides in us. And we are to dedicate our lives to worship and to serve God. And for how many Christians is it so hard to maintain those standards? We see Christians compromising their faith so often. And it was the same thing with the Maccabees. After their tremendous um, defeat of the Syrians, very shortly thereafter, they compromised their faith as well. And the scripture told them, do not rely on the arm of the flesh, but to rely on the power and the might of God. And they forgot that. And they relied on the armor of, on the arm of flesh, and they made a league with the Romans. And they asked the Romans to protect them from um, the Seleucid and the Ptolemaic uh, leaders. And as a result, they became a friend of Rome. And as a result, about 120 years later, when Rome forcibly annexed Jerusalem as its own territory, they also made the Jewish people the subjects of Rome. And the Jewish people suffered miserably under the Romans. You think Antiochus was bad and he was horrible, but it was, it was horrible under the Romans as well. 90% of Jewish people who lived in those days, and remember the Romans ruled Jerusalem when Jesus lived. 90% of the people lived in poverty. Can you imagine if 90% of the people in the United States lived under the poverty level? And it's because they lived in poverty that Jesus was born in a manger. And it's because they lived in poverty that when Jesus was dedicated to the Lord at the temple, that Mary and Joseph could not afford to buy a lamb and a dove. They had to buy just two doves. They just brought two doves as their sacrifice because they were in the same circumstances as everybody else was. So why was everybody so poor? Well, 
the Romans had a number of taxes which they levied upon the people back in those days. First of all, they took one quarter of the crops that everybody grew. 25% of their crops were taken by the Romans. Then there was a per capita tax that was levied on every male over the age of 14 and every female over the age of 12. There were tariffs and import duties and bridge and road tolls and market fees. And then on top of all the Roman taxes were the obligations of the Jewish people to the temple. Within Jewish tradition, there was a half shekel temple tax, which was about two days wages, which every male over the age of 20 was required to pay once a year. And then right before Passover, another two days wages was required of every male. And then there were Offerings of the first fruits of the crops. Also, a tithe of the harvest had to be brought into the temple. And a tithe of the herd had to be brought there as well. And in addition, the Jewish farmers were told not to harvest everything off their fields, but to leave the gleanings for the poor. So basically, back in those days, the poor were leaving gleanings for the poor. And additionally, there were personal offerings and peace offerings and fellowship offerings and offerings for the dedication of the child. So is it any wonder that 90% of the people were living in poverty? And it's in the midst of this deep darkness that the Messiah was born in this deep darkness that the hope of Israel came. And Isaiah prophesied his coming many years before, 750 years before he was born. Isaiah said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in the land of the shadow of death on them, the light has shined. So now can you relate to the deep darkness that was sitting, that was upon these Jewish people? It was a time of tremendous turmoil and darkness. And in the fullness of this time, in the midst of this great darkness, God sent Jesus not to be a conquering king, but to be a suffering servant. And maybe now you can understand why the Jewish people are looking for a conquering king. Somebody who would free them from the oppression that they were experiencing. Because the times were so dark when they were living at this time. But God did not send a conquering king. He sent a suffering servant. And by being a suffering servant, Jesus did not fulfill the expectations of the Jewish people but he fulfilled the expectations of God. And I want to read you a passage out of the book of Deuteronomy. Because in the book of Deuteronomy, the Jewish people were told the type of king that God wanted to have rule over them. And this is what he said. This is what the king of Israel was um, commanded to do. 
When you are come to the land which the Lord your God gives you, and shall possess it, and shall dwell therein, and shall say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are round about me, you shall surely set him king over you, whom the Lord your God shall choose. One from among your own brothers shall you set king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to the end that he may multiply horses. Because the Lord has said to you, you shall no more return that way. Neither shall he multiply wives to himself, that his heart not turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply himself silver or gold. Now here are the key verses, the next overhead. But this is what God truly desired of the king. It shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book. One of that which is before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life. In other words, the righteous king of Israel was to write his own book of the law. He was to get his own scrolls, and he was to write the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He was supposed to write the entire breadth of scripture and have them before him on a daily basis. Now, I want you to know that writing scripture is a very difficult task because it takes the scribes a year to produce one of these scrolls. So basically what God is saying to the king of Israel, he wants him to dedicate his first year of his rulership just to writing the scriptures. And then it goes on and it shall be with him. And he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of his law and these statutes to do them, that his heart not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he does not turn aside from the laws and the commandments to the right hand or to the left, to the end that he may prolong his days in the kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So Jesus, by living a life full of righteousness and holiness, he became the righteous king of Israel that no other king had been able to become before him. He lived out the law of God before the Jewish people. He did not come as a conquering king. He came as a humble servant to be an example of a life of righteousness. And so my question for you who are here today is, what is your life like today? Are you in a dark period of your life? Are you at a time of hopelessness and helplessness? You, you can't find your way out of your situation. You can't find your way to God. If you're in that situation, 
I want you to know that hope is here and the answer to your despair is here. And that answer can be found in Jesus, God's son. God sent Jesus in the fullness of time to take your darkness and to turn it into light. To take your sin and cleanse you of your transgressions. To comfort you and to rescue you and to bring you to the light of his salvation. And if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't dedicated your life to him, what better time to do it than now? As we get ready for this Christmas season, when our thoughts and all of our thoughts are, are centered on Jesus, the baby, the baby who was born in a major who came to bring us life. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your savior, I want to give you the opportunity to come to know him. And I'm going to ask us all to pray a prayer out loud together. And I'm going to ask everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. And I'm going to pray that prayer out loud in short phrases. And I'm going to ask you to repeat it out loud with me. Everybody in the sanctuary, just go ahead and repeat it after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I realize today that I'm in a really bad spot that I can't get out of on my own. I need your help, Lord God. God, forgive me of all the things I've done that haven't been pleasing in your sight. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Lord God, I believe that you sent Jesus to be the sacrifice for my sin. He shed his blood, was crucified on a Roman cross, was buried in a tomb, and resurrected from the dead so I could have new life. Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Live your life through me. And I will live for you all the days of my life. With your help, I pray. Amen. Now, I'd just like to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for another moment. I just want to ask, is there anybody here who prayed that prayer for the first time today? This is the first time that you invited Jesus to come into your heart. Would you raise your hand so I can know that you made that decision? Is there anybody at all? Just raise your hand so I can know that you prayed with me tonight. Anybody at all? Okay, thank you. You can lift up your heads. And um, I hope you've come to understand today that if it hadn't been for the Jewish people, we wouldn't have Jesus. And of course, if we didn't have Jesus, we wouldn't have eternal life. And uh, because of Jesus, all of us are now members of the king, can be made members of the kingdom and can walk in his light. What a glorious hope that we have, the hope of life 
new life in Jesus, and everlasting life in heaven. There's nothing greater than anybody can have of those promises that were given to us by God and delivered to us through Jesus. God bless you this Christmas season.